Hey, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth number two, letteryou.org. Shout out to Sean Paul Tate in Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you for supporting Truth to You in these programs. Great thing. Hey, he's coming on the tour, by the way. Ross, who I'm introducing right now. G'day, mate. Hey, how are you, Jono? I'm doing pretty well. You are a co-host of Tanakh Tours, and we're going to be doing that again in November 2021 because COVID uh, messed it up for this year. Uh, it's filling quickly. Right. Yeah, filling quickly. But uh, so people can find that on the Truth to You website. You and I and Rabbi Tobias Singer and John is going to be on the tour. Gleanings from Genesis, discussing the new translation entitled The Transparent English Bible, the TEB, of which the book of Genesis is now available. Welcome back, Professor of Ancient Judaism and Early Christianity at the University of North Carolina, the President of United Israel, Dr. James Table. G'day, mate. Hello, Jono. Good to be with you and Ross. Now, listen, if you have not yet ordered uh, your copy of Dr. James Table's book of Genesis, why not? You should uh, order it right now. You can uh, pause this podcast. Why not? Just pause it right now. Click on the link in the description of this podcast and order either the paperback or the, the Kindle version. Uh, the latter being instant, by the way, you'll get that immediately, and it has the advantage of having the notes clickable on the page. That's the Kindle version. Uh, you can get that right now. Now, speaking of uh, Ross, speaking of um, the tour, Chad, g'day, Chad, Chad Peterson in Texas. Uh, he let us know that he's enjoying the programs. He's listening. G'day, Chad. Hey, Chad. How's it going? Chad is uh, your your swim mate. You guys like swimming out in the Dead Sea, don't you? Out in the Dead Sea at night. We always we have a. a um, I guess a tradition of going out at night and going pretty far out and you know under the stars in the Dead Sea it's uh, it's an excellent experience an experience for which I will make you do one year Ross because you made me walk up Masada mm. I'm going to make you come out in the Dead Sea at night let me ask you this have you ever shined a strong flashlight at night into the waters of the Dead Sea any, no, I haven't. no I haven't okay. done. what does it do next, next time you got to do that it does this very weird thing because of all the minerals uh -huh. in terms of thousands of reflections. And so you, you can see almost like it's clear water, but it's just very, very different. It's the strangest thing. Be sure you do it. Really? Uh, all right. Yep. yep. Okay. There's a, there's a scientific experiment we will conduct next time, uh, November speaking, 2021. And and speaking of tours, we mentioned this on, on a show previously, but uh, Dr. Tabor and I also do a tour. Mm -hmm. And you've been on that one with us, and so that's another opportunity, and that's in uh, the last couple of days of February into March of 2021. Ah. So that's the plan right now. So those, now, both quickly, of those Ross, links are available. Ross, while, while you're uh, talking about that, just give the – because you've been on both tours. I was lucky enough to go on that tour earlier this year. And it was excellent. I think it, I, I just really appreciated being on the tour. It really was an excellent experience. I'll never forget. Give the listeners just a quick breakdown on, on how these two tools are different. Well, for me, it's wonderful because I get to go on both and both of them are so totally different. And so uh, our listeners might be interested in going on both as well. The thing about going on the Tanakh tour, obviously, is that the primary focus is on the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the sites and so forth that are associated primarily with uh, text and stories that people are familiar with from the Hebrew scriptures, from what Christians call the Old Testament, if you will. Uh, and it attracts a certain group. A lot of people are Jewish or they are oriented towards Judaism, but but not always. And we've had Christians uh, go on that tour as well. Mm. Uh, with Dr. Tabor, as you know, obviously being a scholar of uh, the Second Temple period and a Bible mm. scholar, 
it's more of a uh, we we do primarily Hebrew Bible and New Testament. I would say most of it centers on a historical Jesus of Nazareth. So imagine going for ten days on a bus as you and I have both done, and and you have the the walking talking encyclopedia of Second Temple period Judaism with you. So. So in that sense, uh, they're totally different. I love them both, and it it gives me you know the best of both worlds. I guess you'd say. Yeah, James. Yeah, I would add a lot a lot of archaeology. Um, a lot. Because that's true. That's a lot that's of true. what I that's do. Very... So it's that... not simply the guidebook that you normally get, but many of the sites we visit, I've excavated. I can take you behind the scenes. I've excavated at Qumran, at Sepphoris, and so forth. So. Hmm. Um, we, we try to kind of give the story behind the story. Yeah, and I was just yeah. going to say, a lot of places I hadn't been before and a lot of information that I just didn't know that I really greatly appreciated. An excellent tour. So that's at the end of, it uh, begins the end of February next year into March. And it's really the tour first November. week of March, basically. Yeah. It's the first week of March is a yeah. better way to remember it. So There you go. We are continuing. Oh, before before we even get into it, shout out to E.J. Johnson and his wife listening in Arkansas. He had an interesting question, James, regarding Genesis chapter 15, which we will bookmark. We're not quite there yet, uh, but we certainly do intend to get there soon. Uh, so shout out to those guys. We continue from verse 20 of chapter 1, uh, and it goes like this. And Elohim said, let the waters swarm a swarm of living life breathers, and let the fly or fly upon the land, upon the face of the expanse of the skies. And Elohim created the large water beasts and every living life breather that moves about, with which the waters swarm according to their type, and every winged flyer according to its type. And Elohim saw that it was good, and Elohim blessed them, saying, Bear fruit, and be abundant, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the flyer be abundant in the land. And it was evening, and it was morning, a fifth day. James. Okay, really interesting vocabulary here. Uh, mm. We've already talked about the alliteration, swarm a swarm. We uh, let the flyer fly. I don't know why other translations don't do this. I know it's not standard English, but don't you think it's beautiful? I you do. know, the waters are, what, what's that over there? That's a swarm of swarming swarm, you know, and so that the verb and the noun are the same as the idea. Now, life breathers is very interesting. It's a single word. Many of our deep Bible students that are listening will know this word, nefesh, uh-huh. okay, nefesh. Now, it's mistranslated often when it's applied to humans. We're going to see in chapter 2, verse 6, the Adam becomes a living nefesh. Just like, same word is here, living life breather. And it's mistranslated soul, a living soul. So what people often have thought, who are using the standard English translations, is, oh, humans have a soul, and animals are just uh, living creatures. But living creature is not a good translation. Nefesh, actually, the... It refers to the neck or the breath. So literally, if I go like, you know, sort of breathe in and out, I don't know if you can hear that. It's Mm -hmm. the throat. So any creature that takes in oxygen is a nefesh. Now, why do I call it a living nefesh? Partly because the Hebrew says nefesh kaya. It's a living nefesh because there's a dead nefesh. 
So what would a dead nefesh be? Mm. It would be a breathing creature. The Book of Numbers, for example, says if you're walking through uh, the desert or the woods or wherever you're walking and you come across a dead nefesh, mm -hmm. it can't be soul, a dead soul, and it can't even be, it can be a dead creature. But it means one of those uh, breathing things. Now, fish also uh, have the breath of life, as we'll see. So that's important just to remember that it's nefesh kaya, a living life breather. And then you get the uh, sort of alliteration again. A uh, water beast is interesting. I put water beast uh, rather than just sea creatures. It's actually the word tanin. Your reader, if you look at the note 19, it gives mm -hmm. uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, references to show you that sometimes it translates sea monster, but that's not, you know, monster has too many connotations today, you know, in terms of fiction and comic books and all that. Sure. But it is something like a, a huge beast of some type. It's not just the little fish swarming. See, the swarming is the fish, then the birds. And now these are large beasts. So what, sharks and certainly whales and all kinds of things. And then every living life breather that moves about with which the waters swarm. Now, wait a minute. Fish don't breathe, do they, Jonah? Do fish breathe, Jonah? Well, well, they actually do. But how would – I mean it, – it, it... I mean, we only know that because, uh, you know, the study, you know, biological studies on gills and so on and so forth, yes. um, they do take in oxygen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you define a, what we say an animal? But let's stick with the texture. How do you define a nefesh? It takes in oxygen. How do you define a plant or a sprout or a uh, plant seeding seed or whatever? It takes in carbon dioxide. So there's actually something embedded here that's uh, quasi-biological. Mm -hmm. uh, even though fish uh, are underwater, you said they certainly can't be breathing, and yet they are. They're pulling the oxygen out of the water. So that's really important to point out. That So you see how a living creature doesn't really get it, because we think of a living creature as like a, an animal. You know, walking a mammal, around. maybe, yeah. Land mammal, animal, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and wing flyer. Because there's all kinds of flyers. You don't have to be a wing flyer. <laughs> so, and mm -hmm. notice, it was good, as we've said before. Mm -hmm. So, Russ, let's count. How many goods have we got? We got day one was good, right? Real quick. And yep, day one was good. Day two didn't day, have a good. Day three had two. Two goods, that's four. Mm -hmm. And day four had a good. That's five. Day five had and so we're up with the goods, even though we missed the one. So good, 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 good. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make this point at the end when we get to the very good. But mm -hmm. the Hebrew Bible, this is so important, talks about the good earth, or in this case, the good land. The good yeah. land. We might talk about the good land because we have an organization affiliated with United Israel and with Truth To You that uh, is called the good land. So bear fruit, be abundant, fill the waters of the seas, let the flyer be abundant. Everything is supposed to then multiply, you see. Mm. And so day five, again, it sets the stage for the, the air and the waters, and we just sort of sequentially go along. So I think so we life, should just move. Life is set in its course. Everything is going, they've been blessed, and there is... Uh, right. So now we're ready to go into day six. All right, we're picking up the pace. This is good. Elohim said, and Elohim said, this is verse 24, let the land make a living life breather go out according to its type, animal and moving thing, 
and living thing of land according to its type. And it was thus. And Elohim made the living thing of the land according to its type, and the animal according to its type, and every moving thing of the soil according to its type. And Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let us make soil creature in our image according to our likeness, and let them govern in the fish of the sea, and with the flyers, the flyer of the skies, and in the animals, and in the land, and every moving thing that moves about upon the land. And Elohim created the soil creature in his image. In the image of Elohim, he created him a male and a female. He created them. I think I have to stop there. This is uh, I've stopped in the middle of a of a section here, but there's so much in what we just read. There's so much. Yeah. I think there we is. need to just stop there and, and and let's go back, James. Okay, so let the land make. This is asa to make or do. It's mm-hmm. a common. Just means to accomplish. But you see that little c, yeah, uh, little letter c superscript go out. Yep. This is that causative that hifil. So instead of just saying, let the land bring forth, uh, it's like, let the land make the living breather go out. Because the word is actually go out. Uh, Well, then let let me ask you then, James, how does that compare to... It's like going out of Egypt. (laughs) Yeah, but also when when we uh, uh, began to read when the plants, uh, the land was causing the plants to come out, to sprout. Mm Mm-hmm causing them to sprout how how do we is there any comparison there i think it is it's very similar uh now people that want to discuss you know creation evolution and so forth i don't think this text lends itself to that sort of thing i think it's much more poetic it's astoundingly beautiful it's like a song in terms of its poetry and rhythm even in hebrew when you read it aloud you can hear it in english especially in this translation However, if you notice in verse 25, Elohim made, see, the living mm-hmm. thing of the land. But in verse 24, the land actually produces it. So you could see how somebody might take that who wants to get more than just poetry out of it and say, well, God is the cause behind it, you see, the designer. And yet the land actually brings forth this sort of thing. You see what, mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So whether there's anything to that, I don't know. But uh, so, so you're saying some people, some people might see into that and interpret mm-hmm. some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe evolutionary type process. Yeah, it's usually maybe. called, uh, you know, creationism or creative, creation right. evolution or something like that. Uh, in other words, it's just not God speaking to a void and saying animal, and the animal just pops <laughs> up. Uh, cartoon character or something like that but it emerges from the land you see and that's in fact what we see because we're all well he's going to be adam's going to be told pretty soon you are dirt right mm-hmm. and we're going to get down to our soul creature in the next mm-hmm. verse and we got our good again notice okay. yeah, God, yeah we've, got, we've got our good uh, elohim yeah, said there. let us make now we have to um pause there and and have an explanation or at least a consideration of let us make and then soil creature you don't get that in any other translation as far as i'm aware That's true james yeah that was a tough one to decide i tried many things uh let me basically it's the word adam mm-hmm. but it's not his name and you can tell uh at times, it is the man Adam. Certainly, when you get to chapter five, Adam and Eve, right? Adam knew his wife Eve, and they had a child. 
So that's the guy named Adam. Or when God is putting them out of the garden and he says, to the man, or you could say to Adam. But you've got to realize in Hebrew, there are no capital letters, right? And so you have to interpret by context is he calling the Adam, Adam, you know, like, hey, Adam, mm -hmm. or is he referring to him as an Adam? Well, here, an Adam, A-D-A-M, not A-T-O-M. So here, the word is Adam, and it basically means red mud. I almost called it red soil creature, and then I thought, nah, too many hyphens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but he is a creature, very clearly. He's in the image and likeness of God, or he, they, really, as we're going to see, it's plural. Mm -hmm. uh, they have dominion and so forth. Male and female, he created them. So the soil creature, humankind, as we say in English, is soil man, or I thought of earthling. Earthling would have been kind of cool, but then it has those science fiction connotations. Yes, sure. And so I didn't go for that because that implies, oh, yeah, what did they get dropped by UFOs? And hey, earthling. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just thought, look, it basically means dirt. Dirt man you can't do because dirt means dirty in English. I mm -hmm. wish dirt didn't mean dirty. Then I would go for, let us make a dirt man or a dirt creature. I didn't want to say man because it's not just male. So I, you hear all of my machinations trying to figure out, you know, what do you do? It can't be soil man because he's not just a man. As we're going to see, it's not a male. In other words, mm -hmm. at this point. So, soil creature. Uh, what but do you the think? important, the important thing, James, uh, for the listeners, is this that you've connected, because what you see in the Hebrew is Adam is from the Adama, so you've connected in English that same thing with soil and soil creature, which is the important thing. Whatever somebody does with that, but if you say if some most of these translations. They don't show that connection. So I think it's brilliant. Mm. You good yeah, with it, John? Yeah, you've got these choices. You've got things. You've got dirt, soil, earth, even earth like soil, earth, holding in your hand, you know, a clump of earth. And what are you going to use? And ground. So ground creature, no. I think soil creature works really well because we I, all – soil yeah, I always means soil. You know, well, yeah, and soil, it, soil has a positive connotation to it, particularly when it comes to gardening. When you talk about soil, uh, it's it, yeah. every gardener knows that it's all about the soil. When you talk about dirt – uh, dirt is dirt, and it doesn't necessarily mean you know. Soil is of something course. that's been yeah. conditioned for a purpose, and uh, mm. and and I love this. So, uh, Ross, let us make. You should have given that one to James. That's a, that's a <laughs> tough question. No, I, I tell you, it is. It is. It's not tough to translate, Ross. No, 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 it's no. It's not. <laughs> the, but the subject has been one of great discussion uh, throughout mm -hmm. the ages, uh, Christians. Many Christians, uh, Christian theologians, and and people in the pew will use this to suggest, hey, that you know there is a plurality here, and and so that puts the onus on us to describe who us is. Um, you know, some have suggested it's sort of a plural majesty. Um, you know, who is it that Elohim is speaking to? Is he speaking to a council of? Uh, beings that are witnessing this creation scene. We also have a couple other texts, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, who will go for us? Uh, you remember that famous mm -hmm. uh, that story in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah yeah. looks into the throne room. 
So I think I would just say that what we've done is, or what James has done is, he's presented this as the text says it in the Hebrew mm-hmm. and leaves the interpretation to the reader. Now, I think that other texts are supportive of a singular God, but again, without getting into theology, it's open to a lot. What do you think, James? As far as interpreting it, uh, I would tend to go at the uh, kind of plural of majesty um, rather than talking to the other creatures. But I will say this, we're going to have another example of it even closer than Isaiah, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to get ahead, but let's hold it and talk about the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And that would tend to go the other way. So I go back and forth, meaning that mm. there's a group of beings that also have free moral choice or agency, probably then referring to what people call angels or heavenly beings, I'd rather call them, because angel mm. just means messenger. Mm-hmm. So uh, you got it, but I don't think it's uh, you know plural Godhead or anything of that nature. You know, like this is Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit having right, a right. chat. Right. I don't think that really fits the idea here. But divinity in all of its majesty would be my first choice. Uh, Worthy of note, verse. because. Yeah, and, and because this is the first time that we see Elohim as a plural and uh, we can't just brush over it. But uh, as we continue on, um, James, and let them govern in, let them govern. Uh, you mentioned the word dominion before. But how, how would you break this down? Yeah, before I do that, though, let's do the image and likeness just for a second. Because, uh, you know, we people go, well, one is the physical image and one is the spiritual or whatever. But... This is only said of the soul creature, that the soul creature somehow has this kinship to the Elohim in terms of image and likeness. Now, the best probable interpretation of that we'll get to very shortly when Adam and Eve have their firstborn, right, a child, Mm -hmm. after their image and likeness. So it actually comes, this is kind of scary. You ready, Jonah? Go for it. <laughs> the God kind. The God kind. In other words, Adam has a creature. Adam has a creature. Yeah, he has a creature. He has another soul creature, a uh, soul man, uh, Cain and Abel, two boys. Mm-hmm. And they're not frogs or dogs or cats or you know other animals, cattle, beasts. What? They're they're humans, right? So if mm-hmm. the Elohim, the Elohim, the force of all forces says, let us make a soil creature that would be after our likeness and image, you see, then there's already hinted a high destiny for this particular creature. Mm. I like to tell my classes, it's a disposable model of something that has higher potential, but it's, it's still a soil creature. It can go back to the dust, you see, at death. But its potential is to reflect the image and likeness of God. So you could think of things like intellect, reason, creativity, and a sense of morality. Those are usually the four things that we can see distinguish us in terms of, you know, if you're walking on a beach and you saw just a a star scratched in the sand, you think, hmm. That had to be planned. The waves Mm. didn't do that. An animal Mm -hmm. didn't do that. Something creative. And especially if you saw a sand castle on the shores of an island Mm. on a desert island. Say, oh, somebody planned that. They wanted this high tower. They wanted four towers. They wanted this. They wanted that. You see? So this creativity and also a sense of morality 
self-consciousness maybe all the things that would distinguish us from the fish of the sea the flyer and the animals it gets to your question that you are governing in now it's you know what does it mean to govern govern in in verse 28 it's also used it's the idea that in that realm or with regard to within this arena this is your kingdom you might say and you're to govern within that. So not so much trampled down, uh, I'm in charge of this, I can do anything, God gave us the earth, we can do what we want with it, but that we have this capacity of being in the image of God, of the Elohim, to operate with control, kind of like, wouldn't you say, creators with a small C, Ross? Yeah, I like that. There's a great responsibility being uh, spoken of in this text. It's a, it's a job. It's a responsibility, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Verse 27, And Elohim created the soil creature in his image. In the image of Elohim, he created him. A male and a female, he created them. And the question becomes, James, are we talking about a group of people, uh, human beings being created at once? Are we talking about a single man being created and then, I mean, we, we're we sort of jumping ahead into chapter two here. How is this to be understood? Well, in my, well, first of all, we translate it as it is. So you read mm-hmm. it exactly as it is. And then we talk about what it might mean. We don't, we're not going to do a lot of that, but we should do a bit of it. As you say, we can't just skip this over and say, okay, that's it. Let's go to the next first. Uh, I don't think you should mix your stories. There are two creation accounts, okay? Genesis 1, 1 through, what is it, 2, verse 3. 3, right. And then you you have a definite division, and we're going to work down to that. And I hope to get to that. And so that's one story. And then there's another story. And stories or accounts, you have to ask, what are they about? This is about the ordering, remember, of a chaotic sky and land that we call planet Earth, that mm-hmm. was water cup, and the bringing forth of all of these wonderful uh, phenomenon, plants and animals and fish and birds and so forth, and crowning it, really, with this soil creature that's actually in charge of everything in the image of God. So you don't want to really get into, you know, is this Adam? Is this Eve? Is Eve inside him? Because you're mixing your stories. What this is saying, as I understand it, is the soil creature in the image of God is male and female. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's talking generically about what happens overall. In other words, when Elohim created the soil creature in his image, it was a male and a female that he created. And in chapter 3, 2 and 3 get into a story trying to talk about how did the woman come to the man and how did they lose eternal life mm-hmm. or the opportunity for eternal life? So you have to ask, what the, what is the point of the story? This is very important because it also shows you that the nature of God is reflected in both male and female. That's what I get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, did you know there are female images of God? There are quite a few in the Bible. My favorite is the chicken image, the hen gathering her chicks. Mm-hmm. There's a chicken one. in the. That's oh, we're in the New Testament now. No, no, no. No, you gotta. You have to get that chapter when we get there. Let me hey, be Tevier from Fiddler on the Roof for just a second and tell me yeah. where is. <laughs> there's a chicken in the Bible. Where is the chicken in the? Somewhere it talks about a chicken. Come on, James. Where is that? Well, Jesus quotes the image, but the image is in the Hebrew Bible about God of uh, fluttering like it over flu. Hovering really over his creatures like a bird, like a mother bird over a nest. 
All and right. so uh, that would be the image. So, you know, male and female created them. So whatever is male and female in terms of the human species is ref- is a reflection of God's nature, both, both things. You know, we have stereotypes about, you know, male being what? Strong, the stronger and the leader and the more dominant and the female being nurturing and loving and so forth. But if you put all those together, you'd get the nature of God. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, one of the names for God, El Shaddai, brings this mm-hmm. out. El Shaddai, remember that? We'll get yeah. to it in Genesis 17. Because shod is breast or nipple, believe it or not. Look it up. Just the word shod. And the verb shod is to destroy. And so it's the idea of holding a baby to your breast, nursing it, but also your strong arms, keeping anything from harming it. So you actually get this male protective and female nursing or nurturing image in a single name, El Shaddai. How about Interesting. that? And, and we'll get to that when we get to the name, but you know, it just shows that God Almighty is the typical translation of El Shaddai but that's not even close to what it means in a literal sense. Hey, I was going to add something, and and we'll just touch it, and then when we get later to chapter 2, we'll get into it more. Uh, But if I can, this Psalm chapter 8 and verse 4, actually, I think it's verse 6, you, what is man? Psalm 8 asks the question, what is Adam that you're mindful of him, the son of man, and so forth? It says you've made him a little lower than typically English translations, or at least many translations will say you've made him a little lower than the angels. But in this particular passage in Psalm 8, uh, verse 6, it says you've made him a little lower than the Elohim. So we can probably just say it now and then get to it more when we get to chapter 2. But I wanted to bring that in. Uh, that's good. Oh, I no, it's I, very yeah. Yeah, it's very important, Ross, because what I hinted at in verse twenty-six. I don't know if everybody got it yet, but you'll get it when we get to chapter three. The idea that you would become like the Elohim, knowing good and evil. Mm-hmm. This is a heightened level of awareness of moral responsibility and choice. It actually defines you as knowing good and evil. It's not in this. Uh, verse, but the idea that God says, I'm going to make a soil creature in in our image, in our likeness, a little bit lower than the Elohim, or as it's sometimes understood, for a little while lower than the Elohim. Mm. I, I think mm. a little bit, a little lower is actually better in this context. But, but there's potential, uh, you see, in others, you don't make a soil creature that has these godlike capacities, right, that we mentioned, and then say, and he goes back to the dust, story over. What was that all about, you see? Yeah. And so what the psalmist is thinking about is what was the purpose of that? What is an Adam? It's a creature a little lower than the Elohim. Mm-hmm. Well, a little lower means, you know. If Adam had a child after his image and his likeness, that child was a what? A child of Adam. And so yeah. this, the children of God are here. So verse 28, uh, we've, we've read, this is obviously in regards to the dominion of, of uh, the commandment to bear fruit and be abundant and fill the land and subdue and govern in the fish of the sea and, the, uh, and in the flyer of the skies and in every living thing that moves about upon the land. And... 
Now, verse 29, this is where James converts me to veganism. And it goes like this. And Elohim said, look, I have given to you every plant seeding seed that is upon the face of all the land and every tree in which there is a fruit of a tree seeding seed. To you, it will be for an eatable thing. And to you, every living thing of the land and to every flyer of the skies and to every moving, uh, moving about thing on the land that in it is living life breath, every green plant is for an eatable thing. And it was thus, and Elohim saw all that he had made and look, it was exceedingly good. And it was evening and it was morning, the sixth day, James. No. You notice you had trouble reading verse 30 there. <laughs> Everybody doesn't have the text in front of them. And the reason is I didn't smooth it out for you because I want, look, life breath, right? Mm-hmm. We usually say the breath of life, but it's actually living life breath. And so uh, that, you know, it kind of tangles up your tongue as you're going through it. And then a tree seeding seed, we had that before, mm. but in which there's the fruit of a tree seeding seed and uh, eatable thing. I, lo- I love that eatable, or we say edible, right? An edible thing. Sure. The reason is the word eat, okel, and the eatable, it's the same root. So whenever we can show the noun and the verb is the same root, we try to do that seeding seed. You, you eat eating things, right? So uh, we say food. So you could say food, but then mm-hmm. why should I say food? Because an eatable thing, that's an eatable thing. It's edible. We say edible. So why not say mm-hmm. eatable? Okay. Um, this is uh, interesting because uh, later in chapter 9, when humans are given permission to shed blood and eat living creatures, but they're told that it's an awesome thing. You can't create the life of an animal. And if you take that life, you have to realize that you're shedding the life blood. Mm. This idea that the life is in the blood comes out, hinted Mm. at here, uh, because in it is the living life breath, you see. And so uh, there he he says in chapter 9, God says, uh, as I gave you the green plant, I now give you every living thing that breathes can be food for you. And so the implication here is that the Edenic state is a vegetarian state until the time of the flood. And um, what the implications of that would be The Edenic, as in in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Um, There's an obvious issue here, though, James, uh, in that it says every. And, and of course, we know that that's that's not true. You know, not every fruit is food for us. There are some fruits that are clearly... Uh, poisonous. We don't see those on the shelves in the supermarket. Again, are we are we to interpret this poetically? How are we to understand that? I think just right. poetically. You know, if you wave your hand at uh, the trees bearing fruit and you just say you, you can have any of these you want, you know, these are for you. Uh, I don't think this kind of text is getting into those qualifications. The emphasis is rather that you're free to eat everything because this is going to come up again. Well, you know, and the, remember, and there's going to be one thing forbidden. But well, here one like, other thing, one other thing that it could be, and th- this might push a little bit towards interpretation. But um, later we get introduced to um, perhaps, in other words, maybe at this point there are no poisonous things. Or it's maybe possible. at this point, maybe at this point, Ross, there are no 
poisonous things within the Garden of Eden. And again, we're sort of jumping ahead to... Uh, but yeah, we're not word, quite in the garden, right? We're not quite there, but... Because we don't uh, have a garden yet. We're not in the garden yet, see? That's we're not in the garden story. yet. And remember, Eden is not a garden. Eden is a place, and in the land of Eden, you plant a garden. And we hadn't planted that garden yet. Uh-huh. But we will. Right. <laughs> there we will. And so I just so, think, I think it's just saying, you know, the obvious idea, what are we going to eat? And you can eat every seeding seed and every tree that's a fruit of the tree and so forth. Uh, the uh, botanical diet. So, it's, yeah, botanical, and, and specifically the fruit, uh, fruit eaters, yes. uh, is, is where we begin. And Elohim saw that, it was, and it was exceedingly good. Do we have an exceedingly good uh, prior to this? I don't think we do, do we? Nope. No, this is the conclusion. Crescendo, very much of a crescendo. Yeah, The is. band strike up at this point, you know, where you feel the orchestra rising. And it was evening and morning, the sixth day. And I love the look. Did you notice the look? You got the look in verse 29. I like that drama. Elohim said, look. And then you go down to Mm -hmm. verse 31. And Elohim saw all that he'd made and said, look. Had you ever noticed he said, look? And I love, Mm -hmm. actually, now that you've mentioned that, I love that you put an exclamation mark there. Look. Always. An A. Mm. An A. Look. And instead of very good, uh, and I try to stick with this throughout, very is a nice English word, very, very, very. But if you begin to study it, it really means a whole lot and exceedingly really, it's stronger than just very. You know, like very is almost like, yeah, that was pretty good. Or that was very good. You got to, this is, you're supposed to shout this out. It was really good like that. It was really good. Right. I think the the first time, I don't remember, probably 25, more than 25 years ago when I heard James teach publicly, one of the things that he was stressing then and continues to emphasize is this idea that the earth is good. You know, if you if you begin the Bible in the beginning, you don't get this idea that the earth is bad and uh, I'm just here temporarily as a human and my home is somewhere else. And that, that really changed the way I viewed not only the Bible, but life mm-hmm. itself. That if you focus on the earth and, and the way that God intended it to be, the way he intended us to be, uh, with great potential on a place that he made and then deemed good, 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 very good, it sort of changes your outlook on everything. And so I think it's important as we work through Genesis that we recognize that we're beginning in the beginning and therefore we ought to get some things right from the the very first. And that's what we're doing here. You know, this Christianity does this, but not only Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the religions of the world, Egyptian religion, think of the mummies and the pyramids, all the religions of the world, except for the Hebrew Bible, to my knowledge, say that the earth is the temporary place for humanity, but we really belong somewhere else. Mm. In other words, it's just a you know, I'm a pilgrim. I'm passing through. This world is not my home. Think of all the hymns that Christians sing. I'm not just picking on the Christians. As I said, it's all the religion of the world. So that religion becomes how to get you out of here over there. Mm. And here's a text, and this is true throughout the Hebrew Bible, where if you say, well, what is the purpose of 
life. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern and rule, live a life. And they begin to get the ethical ideas of choosing the good, not evil, building the kind of world that we would like to be, you know, a world of justice and peace and all the Torah values that we get into. So that's the human purpose. And then if somebody says, well, is that all? I mm-hmm. like to quote Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. Clearly, humans are destined for more than just this world. But if you orient yourself to another world at the expense of this world, you begin to get the you, you just begin to get it backwards. Hmm. And and, you know, most of the religions that develop in the ancient world begin to see this as a dark an evil place into which we've fallen, right? Mm-hmm. You get the idea of the fall mm-hmm. of humans, the fall of man, that he's somehow been displaced. And what does he need to do? He needs to get home again, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that the world is a dark place. And Empedocles, the great philosopher, he says, I was once a bird, a fish, and a man. I wept, I wept when I saw this dreadful place. He's talking mm-hmm. about the earth. Yeah. So he's talking about being reincarnated again and again and again, a bird, a fish, a man. And when he saw the earth, he goes, oh, no, this is awful. I want to be in a good place. I want to be in heaven. And he began to get this developed in Plato, in the Greek philosophers. It gets into Christianity, gets into Judaism. Judaism mm-hmm. picks it up as well, I'm sorry to say. But here in this text, you're just firmly grounded in the good earth that is not just good, but as Ross said, six times good plus a very good. And we should be, we should have gratitude for our existence being here rather than feeling like we are victims of our predicament. Uh, And that's not the case. We, we've been brought into existence on an earth that is very good. Ross? One, yeah, one point I would just like to, uh, to add to underscore this. If, if all we knew was what we've read so far, you get uh, a whole lot, you don't devalue this earth and our task and our duty and our obligation. It's clear that Adam is rooted in the Adamah and was very much created to be here. And I think that that's so important. I hope to convey, just based on what James just covered in these few comments, to get people to think about this is it, and and not so much focus on, because whatever comes later is later, but what do we have now? It's a glorious earth that God created and put us here for very, very uh, good reasons. So. We have to think about if humans are responsible for what we would call today the management, mm-hmm. because we have this rule or power over mm-hmm. We have power over animals. How do we treat animals in our culture? Mm-hmm. We have power over fish. We have power over the land, over the plants, over the sky. And, uh, you know, how are we doing uh, as a species? Well, you know, I think we all know there's been just horrible abuses and are horrible abuses. But can we mm-hmm. go all the way through? See, there shouldn't be a chapter break here. Can we go to verse 3? Do you think we have we time, have, Well, we have to go to verse 3. Yeah, it would to really it. be great if we could finish. Yeah. Because the we Christian hymn isn't over until we get, uh, even though the cha- a lot of people think, oh, chapter 1, we'll do chapter 2 next week. <laughs> but chapter 2 is not, uh, there shouldn't be a chapter break there, unfortunately. There shouldn't be a chapter break, but there is. But the next three verses are the conclusion of the last six days that we have read. And it goes like this. So chapter 2, verse 1, And the skies and the land and all their company were finished. And Elohim finished on the seventh day 
his work that he did, and he ceased on the seventh day from all his work that he did. And Elohim blessed the seventh day and he set it apart because on it he ceased from all his work that Elohim created to do. James. Boy, this is a great verse, isn't it? Or a great set (laughs) of verses, three verses. Yeah, it really is. Because first of all, uh, the word Sabbath is is in, in the verb where it says he ceased. You see, or mm-hmm. stop. We we say the Sabbath day. Literally, it's the ceasing day or the stopping day. I think people need to have that in their mind. You know, a lot of people remember the Sabbath because here it's blessed and set apart. So if it's blessed and set apart, well, I don't use the word made holy ever because that's a religious term. To be set apart, meaning it's special. It's different from the other six days, right? And And it's also blessed. But what is it? It's basically the stopping day, you see. So it doesn't explicitly mention work in terms of you humans can't work. But notice it's the it's when you finish something. So you finish mm. your week's work. Or here he's finishing the seven days of creation and he stops. So rest is is usually translated. But rest implies like let's take a nap or we're really tired. But it really just means it's all. I'm stopping. That's it. Why? Because it's done. It's done. But mm-hmm. notice the last phrase. So he blesses the seventh day, sets it apart. And by the way, that would show that the Sabbath day, the stopping day, is not a Jewish idea, meaning the Israelites are given this. Of course they're given it because it's part of the revelation. But this goes all the way back and it's embedded in the creation. And when you get the 10 words, remember, Ross has done special studies comparing Mm -hmm. Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, The two reasons that that are associated with the Sabbath, one is God redeems people out of Egypt, this idea of redemption. But the other is because he rested. So it actually reaches back or because he stopped. But notice the last phrase of to do that he most translations say he ceased from all his work that elohim created and did it doesn't mm. say that it has the infinitive so what is that i don't want to make too much of it but i mean an infinitive in hebrew is the same as an infinitive in uh, english he created it to do period mm. so is the creation supposed to continue in some way or become something or is it to be completed mm. Isn't that kind of a nice idea? It's not finished yet. I mean, I'm adding a little interpretation here, but I think when he says, let us make man, let us make the soul creature, it's a process. Just like when Eve and Eve had their child in their image, that child hasn't grown up yet and become what it would become. Cain Cain became a murderer. Abel became a man of God, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So the creation is left to la so to do to to become. So you could say to become all that is work, all his work that Elohim created to become something. Do you like that? I like it. Am it I, leaves it, it leaves it open and and that's the the beautiful thing about this. People who can read this, I think you've done a great service by providing a very literal rendering of what the Hebrew says. Because what this does when I read it is I think of things like that. What created to do, I mean, you could almost get scientific with that as well, just like you can some of these other passages. Uh, it, it enables the reader to enter into the text, reading it fresh and, and thinking about new, new ideas. I do want to add 
to this, um, you translate, and he set it apart. Now, our listeners, you touched on it, but they would typically find in their translations the word holy. And uh, you've avoided that word for obvious and good reasons. But whatever someone thinks about when they think about holiness, and we, we know that it means to be set apart, they should recognize that time is the first thing in Scripture that God puts in that category. Hmm. So here we have uh, this seventh day, the day of ceasing, is to be recognized, I believe, universally as something which is to be set apart. And so many people around the world are recognizing the beauty in Shabbat. I mean, people from other faiths, not growing up in Judaism, are beginning to recognize what a wonderful thing it is to be able to take that time and set it apart. And uh, I think that's a powerful image and a powerful idea for us. Mm. Now, Ross, you uh, just picking up on what James said a little earlier there, the difference between Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, I think it is, and Deuteronomy 5.15, the reasons given in the fourth commandment, um, why, why Shabbat, uh, they're different. And it's... Uh, uh, Exodus 20 verse 11 that makes reference back to here. You've recently, just just quickly, you've recently done a study and that's available on United Israel's YouTube channel. Can you just give us a quick rundown? Because I'd really love people to go there and uh, invest the time to watch these excellent studies that you've, you've made available. And they can download the uh, comparison of the two word for word That's right. and phrase by phrase. Yeah, yeah and I, I think what we'll do, Jonah, is we'll put that on there, the finished product. We we took our our group, our group of Bible students, through Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, uh, the 10-word covenant, and that was a 15-part series, so about an hour per lesson, a little bit more, uh, so people could binge it. I mean, people binge stuff all the time, you know, on, on uh, Netflix or whatever. But this is a very good series, I think. And it Excellent. walks through comparing Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. There, there are some interesting variations between the two. And the one that we're talking about today is the one uh, from Exodus 20. Exodus in the 10 words in the Sabbath commandment, like you said, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the, just one more point. I just read from the JPS, but what I've done in this series is I've gone very literally uh, to the Hebrew, and the chart reflects that, and so people can pick up, and they'll probably see some interesting connections with what they read here, because I've been studying with James so long, so mm -hmm. uh, highly recommend that people do go to that series. It's uh, I, I mean I, I watch them all, and I probably will do so again. It's an excellent series presented by Ross, as well as what he's doing right now. Now, what is that series entitled, Ross? So that when people go to the, it, it's called the Ten Words. Uh, the Ten, the words. Ten Words. There will be a link in the description anyway, and uh, I encourage listeners to go there. James, yeah, people have heard of the Ten Commandments. There's um... But actually, it's the 10 words or the 10 matters is actually what it mm -hmm. says, the 10 things. Mm -hmm. I was just going to add that whenever, back to this created to do, I was just looking at a couple of translations. I want to explain something here. Mm -hmm. Whenever I, I'm well aware that many, you know, if we have any scholars listening, they could say, oh, come on, you're coming up with these crazy etymologies and interpretations of like this infinitive. I know this is an infinitive construct. 
And I know before the verb, it can kind of be a modifier. So it might be something like which God creatively made or which God made in creating or or the RSV has which God had done in creation. Uh, I think the King James, which God created and made. Well, I don't see the word and there. And I understand all of those are not that different from what I'm saying, if you think about it. But do you see, again, if you give people the literal that he created literally, it's asa, to do, I think it's better than trying to put it into a, a kind of an English uh, construct, even though grammatically you could say, well, in Hebrew, if you use this infinitive construct, and it can actually modify the verb. Well, it can, but uh, I just want to point that out because I several times I will be very literal with something that the translations are going to really smooth out as we've seen mm-hmm. and uh, just keep that in mind let let me add one one other point on la asot which is what you've translated there to do i cannot think of um any way that you would translate that otherwise whereas most people who don't translate it literally do something else with it that particular word and that inflection occurs 220 times in the Hebrew Bible. I would encourage people to, if they have software available to do this or a good concordance or lexicon, uh, to just do a study. Again, I think it's the perfect translation. It means what it says, but whatever it says, it leaves it open in this translation for someone to say, well, what does that mean by that? But, but literally, it means to do. So uh, that's very common in biblical Hebrew, la'asot. And Absolutely. The, the way that people treat this occurrence of la'asot is so different than other obvious. It, it, I think that the Hebrew Bible is this beautiful tapestry. And, and so often we see something in the Hebrew and you look at what English translators, James and I were talking this week, we were looking at a couple of prophetic passages together, just having a nice conversation. And and both of us were somewhat disheartened by how loosely the translators represented what they saw in the Hebrew. These are brilliant people. That's not, it's not to make fun of them, but they tend to try to smooth too many things out and not and tell us what it says. A lot of it depends on what you want in a translation. Like, mm-hmm. I like the Revised Standard Version in some ways. I like the JPS especially, and I like the Koran. Those are the three, and I like the American Standard, the old American Standard, 1901. But it depends what I'm doing. So if I'm doing a close study like we're doing, going through verse by verse and looking at the unique vocabulary, that's not an inspirational reading or getting an overall view. That's digging into things. So here you're La'asot. One of my favorites is when Abraham prepares a meal for the three messengers, you know, that mm-hmm. great passage I mentioned last time. It says he, he got the calf tender and good and uh, uh, prepared it, meaning he did it. <laughs> yeah. He took it and, and did it. So you get all kinds of things like that. Uh, and, and at the Tower of Babel, uh, this is only beginning of what they're going st- to what they're going to do, what they're able to, to do. See, so uh, even if we're very literal, you could still smooth it out in your own mind and get the meaning. Mm. But I uh, wanted people to see that. If I just said created and made, period, you'd think the Hebrew said created and made, but it doesn't say created and made. It says created la asot to do. 
Right. So, again, by going into this translation, if people will notice, those who have bought this, who have it in front of them, they'll notice the beauty of using the white spaces, whereas a lot of times chapters are set up in there, um, uh, the paragraphs are just arbitrary. But what you see in what we've covered to this point through the seventh day is that each of these days uh, are broken down into a, a, uh, a white space. In other words, mm-hmm. between chapter 1, 1 through verse uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, that's day 1. And they can work, you can count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And then we have a major break. Mm-hmm. And it's. I think that that's part of the beauty of looking at this because people see what I consider to be a more authentic uh, at least from the earliest manuscripts that we have, and this is the way it should be broken down. In fact, uh, the first rabbinic Bible in the 1500s, whenever this was published, uh, this this particular translator's preface said that had I known about these these spaces, I would have used them instead of the chapters because it's more authentic. So. Uh, I think this is wonderful. You still get the the thing that we're used to, chapter and verses from your standard Bible, but you also get the breaks in the text. So, mm-hmm. Gleanings from Genesis, that is our program for today. And we have finished the opening creation story within Bereshit, within Genesis. Next week, we're going to be picking up uh, from verse 4 of chapter 2. And all of a sudden, the uh, the text is populated with the Tetragrammaton, the name of God. So I'm looking forward to getting into that and talking about that. You can find, by the way, uh, Dr. Tabor's web pages, books, projects, and so forth at jamestabor.com. All of it is available there, jamestabor.com. Uh, if you haven't ordered the book already, the book of Genesis uh, from the Transparent English Bible, Uh, You can do so, there is a link on this post and you can get either the Kindle version or or the paperback. Go ahead and do it, it really is worth your while. That is the show for this week. We'll be back this time next week and until then, have a great one.